Good morning, Good News Church. How are you doing? Good. Well, my name is Raphael. I'm the executive pastor here at Good News Church. And today we're going to continue in our series, in a sermon series, The Gospel According to Luke. Last week, Pastor Wall preached an amazing message concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that you were encouraged and challenged as we looked at the significance of the resurrection of Christ, all past, present, and future. Also, just two weeks ago, our uh, youth pastor who was just up here, Pastor Drew, preached on Luke, and he talked about the call, Jesus calling uh, Peter, James, and John. And he explained that the call of God is not so much a call of vocational call, but a relational call. And he talked about how every single one of us, that God is calling every single one of us to follow him. So today, as we continue then on our Luke series, I want to call my daughter Ariana up to the platform as she will read the passage of scripture that we have today. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke five twelve through 26. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions... The report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strong with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the, teacher, but the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is 
That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man picked up his mat, jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, O God, that your word pierces through flesh, through bones, through marrow, O God, and accomplishes that which you have sent it forth to do. I pray, O God, that today your word would accomplish exactly what you wanted to do in each individual's life in here today. I pray, O God, that your spirit will convict, that your spirit would encourage, that your spirit will lift up, that there will be healing, transformation, that you do what only you can do in our midst, O God. I pray, Lord, that every ear may be open, that every heart transformed, that you may be glorified. We thank you for your faithfulness and for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So today... We have two amazing stories that my daughter just read. Two very, very significant stories. And I want to take a moment and talk about them separately at first. First, we have the leopard. So among the Jews, several skin diseases were classified as leprosy. And including our modern Hansen's disease. Leprosy was used also as a picture of sin by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1. We find in Leviticus chapter 13 what the law said concerning leprosy. And I want us to go there first so we could get a picture of how uh, lepers were dealt with in, in that time. So we get a clear picture. So let's read out of Leviticus chapter 13, beginning in verse 45. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. And it says, those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. This must be, they must cover their mouth and call out unclean, unclean. As long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. So the first man that Jesus encounters is this man that has leprosy. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you have a spouse or perhaps it's a boyfriend or girlfriend or perhaps it's your significant other, someone that you are in a relationship with. Imagine with me that you have a child or children, that you have a job or that you're a student, that you have a church, a group of people that you gather with to praise God and that you love them. And all of a sudden, all of that is gone. 
all of what you hold dear and every relationship that you hold dear is gone because of the disease. This was exactly what this man was facing. He has been put outside of the camp, outside of the community as an outcast. No one would touch him for fear of contracting this disease. No wonder what we read in verse 14. No wonder why he came to Jesus. He has such a desperation in his voice. He begged at Jesus. He fell at his, on his feet. See, the presence of Jesus demands a response. And this man responded by falling on his face. By calling out to God. And the presence of Christ demands a response from us as well. How many times, as Terry was saying earlier, how many times do we come in the presence of God where God is moving and God is doing things and we take it for granted? How many times do we completely dismiss it and we just go through the motions? You know, this man bowed down and fell at Jesus' feet as a sign of humility. As a sign of complete surrender. As a sign of worship. But I ask you, what if he wouldn't have done that? What if he would have seen Jesus and said, look at you. What have you done in my life lately? Have you seen my life? Have you seen how I lost everything? What if he would have had that response? He would have missed his miracle. And how many times is that the same position that we take? Well, I've prayed long enough and nothing has happened. I've been struggling with this for years and nothing has happened. Things have gotten worse instead of better. Where are you, Jesus? Instead of taking the position of humility, of falling down and worshiping the king. See, the leper did something that was very significant. Very significant in his response to Jesus' presence. Verse 12, it says that the leper said, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. I want you to take notice of the first word that he says in that statement. Lord. The first words out of his mouth was Lord. He recognizes Jesus' lordship. He's recognizing that Jesus has the authority. See, so many times we are in the same boat and we come to Jesus, yes. We come to Jesus desperate, yes. And we're calling out, oh, Jesus, please. But we are unwilling to submit to his lordship, to his kingship. We are unwilling to fall at his feet in humility. Many of you have heard it before. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, right? And that's what it is. I love what this man did in this phrase, in this statement, because he says, first he says, Lord, and then he comes what I called his declaration of faith. He comes with a declaration of faith. He says, if you are willing, you can heal me. And you can make me clean. 
If you are willing, you can heal me and you can make me clean. See, he's saying in one breath, he's saying, if you're willing, he's saying, I I don't know if you want to touch me. I don't know if you want to come near. I don't know because I am. I am filthy. I am been rejected. But on the other breath, he says, I know you can heal me. I know you can make me clean. See, this man did not allow his current circumstances to limit his faith. This man did not allow his present situation to dictate what he was going to believe. If you're willing, you can make me clean. You can heal me. How many times do we believe the lies? I'm not good enough, Jesus. Uh, I really screwed up this week. Uh, I have not been a good Christian. And then we let our circumstance dictate the level of our faith. I love Jesus' response to this man. Verse 13. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Jesus right away puts the man's fears to the side. His fear was, I've been rejected. I've been an outcast. So if you are willing, and Jesus says, yes, I am willing. Right away. But before Jesus even said a single word, I love what he did. Can you guys put verse 13 up there? I love what Jesus did before a single word about healing him came out of his mouth. And it says that Jesus reached out and touched him. Jesus reached out and touched him. Now think about this. Here's this man who has been rejected by society. He has been placed outside of the camp. He's an outcast. No one touches him for fear of contracting the same disease. He has no relationship. He has no community. Now think about the loneliness that this man must feel. No interaction really. And no interaction with men and no interactions with God. Because now he's also been rejected. He can't go into the temple. Imagine the loneliness. And Jesus touches him see jesus was making a statement just by touching this man and the statement was that of relationship and was a statement of acceptance i accept you you are in relationship with me i'm touching you this is a statement that this man understood imagine not being touched it's a need of a human (laughs) To have community, to have relationship. This is so much more than a healing. This is so much more than a healing. God didn't just want to heal this man's body. He wanted to restore a life. Jesus not only healed this man, but he restored his relationship with God. And he re- his relationship with people. We see that in verse 14 where he says, go to the priest. 
He told him, go to the priest because the priest was the only one that had the authority. The, the priest needed to examine him and make sure that he was okay, that he was clean. And then he would pronounce him clean. And now this man could bring sacrifices to the temple. Now this man was back in communion with God. And now this man was recognizing the community as being clean. Jesus healed his body and restored his relationship with God and with men. You may be here today thinking, Jesus, I need you to touch my body. And Jesus is saying, I want to touch you. I want to restore your marriage. I want to restore your relationship with your kids. I want to restore your friendship. I want to restore that relationship with that coworker. I want to restore your relationship with me. But see. Ultimately, even though the healing is good, even though the restoring of a life is fantastic, it's something that only God does. Ultimately, it's not only because of that. Verse 15 says, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. See, when God shows up, everybody pays attention. Whether you say you believe or whether you don't believe, you may say, I'm an unbeliever, but when God shows up and is doing stuff, hello? That's why I said, you can know much more than me, be wiser than I am, but you can't argue with me about the, exist the existence of a living God because I know what he has done in my life. So there's nothing that speaks louder than a testimony. And now this man has been made whole. Everybody knows about it. Everybody's freaking out. And Jesus has all kinds of visitors. The next verse is amazing to me. I love it for a couple of reasons. Verse 16 is sandwiched right in between the two stories. And verse 16 says this. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus often withdrew, withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I love it because it's right in between both stories. Luke is wanting us to have a picture that without prayer, there's no miracle. I'll say that again. Without prayer, there's no miracle. See, that's why the, the disciples were, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And we're going to see that in Luke chapter 11 later on as we move on in our series. But there were Jesus teaches how to pray. Me, I wouldn't be like, wait, wait a minute. You just touched this guy. Boils all over his body. Skin is opening up. Nasty stuff. You touch him and whew, he's new. I, I want that. Forget prayer. Teach me how to do that right there. But see, they have seen a model in Jesus's life. Prayer, power, prayer, power, prayer, power. So they're like, oh, that is the key. Teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. There was something else in this, in this verse, in verse 16. It says, Gee, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray for prayer. This was fascinating to me because if you guys remember, and I don't know if it's the same physical location or none of that. But all I know is that as I was reading this passage and meditating on it, I remember that in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was baptized. He went to the Jordan and was baptized by John the Baptist, right? And then after baptism, what happened? 
the wilderness, right? It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And as I was reading this, I really sense the Lord speaking this to me, my life. And I sense he's speaking that to you today. And the spirit was telling me he went back to the place where my spirit led him to the place where by my word, he received victory over temptation. He went back to the place where by my word, for it is written, he received victory over temptation. May we allow and let the spirit of God lead us back to the place of overcoming. See, because when you get into a bind, when you get into a place where you don't know what to do and you remember the overcoming. I love what Carissa did when she was worshiping here. She says, I, you, I am thankful for you heal my daughter. When you go back to the place of overcoming and you say, God, you did, you did it then, you could do it again. God, you did it years ago and you could do it again. You did it yesterday, you could do it again. And you could do it so much better than I can even think or imagine. That's the place of your overcoming. May we let the Spirit lead us there. Many times we have a, a, in our minds, we think that the wilderness is a bad place to be. And it is if you're all there all alone. But not if you're there with the Spirit of the living God. Because He's the one that will sustain you. He's, he's going to be the lifter of your head. That's for somebody. Well, in the rest of the story, in the rest of the text, now we have this other story that happens. Equally as amazing. And it's the story of this man that's brought before Jesus by some friends. Now, Jesus has come into this, this house and is packed because now... The power of God is on Jesus and things are happening and everybody's coming to hear him speak and they want to be touched by him and all that. So now these guys come with their friend. He's a paralytic. He can't he can't walk on his own. So they are carrying this man. So they get to the house and there's no room. They can't get in. The crowd is too large. Now they they say, well, there's no room. We're going to go to the roof. We're going to climb up there. We're going to make a hole in the ceiling, in the roof. We're going to tear up some stuff. Oh, there's Jesus. And we're going to lower our friend. Now, imagine the huge mess in that service. That makes pastors very uncomfortable. Like, what? You're making a mess here? That's, that can't happen. So this is all happening. But in this story, Luke introduces us for the first time. To a group of individuals called the Pharisees. So who are these Pharisees? In the Hebrew, the word means to divide, to separate. And they are probably developed. This group of men were probably developed and came to be around the, the, the time of Ezra, the priest. Which Ezra used to teach in, in Ezra chapter 9 and chapter 10. You could read that. He used to teach the Israelites to obey the law of Moses. And to be separated from the heathen nations, for all these heathen nations. And they had a great desire, the scribes and the Pharisees, to actually understand and magnify God's law. And also to be able to apply it to their daily lives. But something happened. 
They got really legalistic with this thing. They put so many burdens on the people that the people no longer could serve God with gladness. And they were hypocrites. And you can read it in Matthew chapter chapter 15 and chapter 23. They put his burdens on the people, but they were themselves not following what they were teaching. So these are the Pharisees. They wanted to find out what's, what's this Jesus all about? See, because they were all about finding out, is this a false prophet? Because they didn't want the people to go straight, right? They did the same thing with John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, we see that they sent some to ask, who are you? What are you doing? Are you the one that's to come? And, and John the Baptist said, no. That's why he said, I am the one crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. And so they were doing, they did that with John. And now they're doing that with Jesus. Who is this Jesus? They're following him everywhere. Well, they show the perfect service to come to. This was the right place for them to be. Jesus says to the paralytic man laying in front of him at this point, he says, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is an enormous statement by Jesus. See, the Pharisees and all those religious leaders, they knew only God can forgive sins. And it doesn't happen here. It happens in the temple. And guess what? Furthermore, there's a whole bunch of ritualistic cleansing that needs to happen. And you need a sacrifice for the atonement of sin. Oh, my. And he's declaring this man to be forgiven. Only the priest, the high priest at that can declare a person to be forgiven by God. People had already acknowledged Jesus' authority to teach and to cast out demons. We read that in Luke chapter 4, 32 and 36. But now Jesus is making another claim. I can forgive sins. With this statement, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is turning the religious system on its head. He's like, how does that feel? Not very comfortable for them, I, I imagine. They were thinking to themselves in verse 21, who does he think he is? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They were thinking to themselves this. And then Jesus said in verse 24, so I'll prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. To understand what Jesus said on that verse, we need to go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 4, Daniel receives a vision from the Lord of the four beasts coming out of the sea. And after he described the beasts, he go, we go into the rest of his vision in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel seven thirteen says, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all of the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language will obey him. His rule is eternal and it will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His vision of Daniel was of the Messiah. 
whom he described as the son of man. Someone as the son of man. And Jesus told the Pharisees, what are you thinking? Who am I? I am the son of man. Jesus told him, so I will prove to you that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus was making a claim. I have been given authority, honor, and sovereignty, and he still does. He still has honor, sovereignty, and authority over everything. Let's go back to what happened with the paralytic men. Many times in our natural lives, we, we see things just in the natural, which is okay, but it is incomplete. Jesus looks at us, and he has more of a kingdom of God perspective of what our true needs are. The paralytics, man, the paralytics friends, they knew that he needed healing, and they brought him to Jesus for that purpose. You know, they have faith in action. Verse 20 says that Jesus, seeing their faith, they had this faith in action. But Jesus wanted to do so much more for the man. So much more. Jesus was more concerned with the man's relationship with God. The same as you. He is more, more concerned about your spiritual well-being. And you may be here today and you may have a need. And you may say, Jesus, I am in need. But he wants to say to you, your sins are forgiven. And restore that relationship. Now, the friends of this man in this story were a significant part of the story. Because the paralytic man cannot get into the presence of God without their help. He couldn't do it on his own. They have to carry him and actually physically take him to the place. And then they had to overcome whatever obstacle is there in order to bring him in the presence of God. Nothing was going to stop them. They went to the roof, started tearing somebody else's house up. Who does that? Well, faith will do that. Love would do that. We can't let our friend Remain in this condition. And we heard that this man Jesus can heal him. I'm going to ask you, what if, what if they said, well, there's way too many people here. There's nowhere. Where are we going to park? There's no way. Like, nah, we just turned back around. We tried. We tried really hard. What then? Don't stop at the door of your miracle. I'm going to say that to you again because I want this to get in your spirit. Do not stop at the door of your miracle. No matter the obstacle you push through, God said it, it is done. Do not stop at the door of your miracle. I have two questions today. My first question to you is whose mat are you carrying? Whose mat are you carrying? See, how do we even carry a mat, right? There's a few ways that you could carry a mat. You can serve. And today we got team link going on. And hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I served, I think, in just about every capacity here for the 16 plus year that my wife and I have been here. You can serve. You can remove obstacles for people to actually enter and end up here. Because you're not just putting out cones out there. You're not just shaking a hand. You're just not giving somebody coffee. 
That's not the point. You're not giving somebody just a, a little bulletin. That's not it. We're removing any barrier so that people can encounter the living God and their lives be transformed and his name be praised. Another way, whose mat are you carrying? Whose mat are you carrying? Prayer is a huge mat carrying device, if I could use that. See, because I remember back in the day when I used to come home, <laughs> stoned and drunk, right? And find my mom on her knees crying on my behalf. Carrying my mother. And I'm, and I'm like, mom, what you doing? I'm praying for you. I said, what are you crying? You don't need to cry. I did not understand that. She was carrying my mat at that time. Bringing me into the presence of the living God. Because I couldn't get there myself. And many of you can do that. And many of you are doing both of those. Praise God. You guys are killing it. My second question is, who's, who's carrying your mat? Who's carrying your mat? See, who are those individuals in your life who carry you when you can't even walk? Who are those individuals in your life that actually drop you right in the presence of God? We all need them in our lives. We all do. I'm reminded of our small group years ago, my wife Victoria and I, and there were are mad carriers. Without those folks, man, I don't even think we'd be married. I mean, Jesus, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Spirit of God. But these were the people that were carrying our mat, man. And we need those individuals. And you may come here on Sunday night, Wednesday nights, and but have no relationship with anybody that can actually carry your mat. It is significant. It is significant. Back to our text, verse 25 and 26. After Jesus forgives the sins, heals the man, then we pick up verse 25, and this is the scene. Verse 25 says, and immediately, as any, everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praise God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. This is the why. Why people are healed. This is why sinners receive forgiveness. This is why lives are transformed. This is why heaven invades earth. This is why. You know why? So that his name may be praised. That his name may be glorified in the earth. Miracles are wonderful, but it is after you receive the miracle. What then? I would choose to praise him. If I ask our, our team to come up as we begin to move towards the close. See, in these two stories, they were both separate. They were separate, but interconnected. The leopard and the paralytic. The leper believed that Jesus, if he was willing that he can heal him, he had faith. So Jesus did. The paralytic, his friends believed on his behalf 
And Jesus did. Hebrews eleven six, For without faith it is impossible to please God. Before he who comes to him must first believe that he is. And that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. It is about faith. It is about trusting in God. It is faith that pleases God. Not what you can do for him. Or how good you've been. And the presence of God demands a response. The presence of God demands a response from you, from you, from you, from you, there, from you, 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 and from me. See, both of these men, what it just said. No, that's okay. I'm fine. They would not have experienced the touch of the king. I ask you to stand. His presence demands a response. Both of these conditions could be depicted, could be an illustration of sin. Leprosy attacks your nervous system, starts attacking with the, with the virus, and uh, this infection starts attacking your flesh. You lose feeling, losing parts of you in the process. It's what sin does. It's that infection that starts eating away at your soul. You lose all kinds. You lose your feeling, losing yourself in the process. Getting used to it. You know, perhaps it's paralysis that has caused you to actually not be able to move forward. And stand upon the rock that is Christ Jesus. I want our altar workers to come at this time. Make your way to this place, to the front. Perhaps you have spiritual leprosy. Sin is eating away at you. You've been paralyzed. And today Jesus is saying to you, your sins are forgiven. That's what he wants to say to you. Your sins are forgiven. Perhaps some of you just need a time with the Lord alone in the corner, wherever you're at. And you just want to get on your knees and pray just as Jesus did in the wilderness. And some of you need to say, God, I need to be a mad carrier. Maybe your, your answer to this altar call is to go out there and begin serving or come up here and pray. So they're going to pray. We're going to sing this song. Carissa and the team is going to lead us. Make your way to this altar. Do not stay at the door of your miracle.
those that are praying right here and that have made a make sure that we give them a place to do so god bless you 